Welcome to Cleveland Schmooze, a bi-weekly podcast about the people who make up Jewish Cleveland. I'm your host, Rachel Rood. And I'm her mom, Robin Rood. This week, we're bringing you an interview with local Anne Frank expert and educator, Fern Levy. I've taken many classes from Fern over the years, and she has truly made it her life mission to share the importance of remembering the Holocaust for future generations. We sat down with Fern Levy at B'nai Asheron Congregation in Pepper Pike. Fern Levy, thank you so much for coming to talk to our podcast, Cleveland Schmooze. Thank you for inviting me. What were some of your earliest memories of Jewish customs with your family? I'll have to start by saying that I grew up at Temple Emmanuel Mm -hmm. in the 1950s and 1960s. I believe my parents were founding members in, I think it was 47. Oh, wow. I had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Jewish education at Emmanuel. I Mm -hmm. was very, very fond of Rabbi Green. He was a man of great integrity. And so I didn't grow up in a family that really followed a lot of the customs. Oh, really? No, no. My, My father... Grew up in the Catskill Mountains. I think there was a synagogue, but it might have been a half-hour walk from where he grew up in Mountaindale, New York, which was near all of the hotels way back when. Mm -hmm. So one thing my mother did, though, was to always have a lovely, lovely Shabbat dinner. Mm -hmm. We did not light candles. Hmm. We lit Hanukkah candles, as Anne Frank and her family did Mm -hmm. in The Hiding Place, as we know about, Mm -hmm. as she wrote about in her diary and as we saw in the, the play and the movie. So here again, I grew up um, in a rather secular household. My father didn't really grow up knowing much. My mother, her her parents came from Ukraine. I don't believe they grew up with any Judaic knowledge to speak of. And um, when I was about to be consecrated, I already was in love with Judaism, and probably not yet, How but old about was five that? or six. Wow. Later on, I did want to be a rabbi, but I got mm-hmm. told that I could only marry one and couldn't wow. be one. This was a little, I was a little ahead of my time. <laughs> I, you mentioned Anne Frank, and obviously you've devoted a lot of your life to making sure that her story is remembered. When was the first time you remember hearing her story? Was it something that was taught when you were in school? Or what got you so interested in her story? Well, that's such a good question. I do remember vividly going to New York City for the first time with my family when I was 11 years old. And mm-hmm. I remember it as sort of an 11th birthday gift. Mm-hmm. And we saw The Music Man which was on Broadway at that time. That's awesome. It was awesome. It was my first Broadway <laughs> play, and it was, it was just so right. much music. It was just such oh. an iconic And musical. we had these funny box, we had like box seats because I didn't have any other seats left. I don't know. It was just <laughs> absolutely, you know. Right. So, but then we also saw the movie, The Diary of Anne Frank, which mm. came out that year, 1959. Wow. And we might have had to wait in line to get in, but I do remember sitting there, and literally, at the age of 11, biting my nails, one after another after another, sitting forward in my seat, um, just feeling everything, you know, just mm-hmm. feeling the anxiety and the despair and mm-hmm. the hope and all of the different feelings that came and went and changed every day and, you know, depending on what was going on. And that is really my first memory. But it really was when, 20 years ago, which was the 50th anniversary uh, in 1997, 
the 50th anniversary of the publication of Anne's Diary in Holland. It was just last year in 19, uh, 2017 was the 70th mm-hmm. anniversary, and I did do a lot of speaking, and a lot of people interviewed me, and I gave a lot of talks. So it was at that time that what was then called the National Council of Christians and Jews, now called the Diversity Center, they had a huge program um, in conjunction with the Playhouse, and they brought in an exhibit called Anne Frank in the World, and they brought in some speakers, and it was at that time that I got to meet and interview people who knew Anne and her family, including wow. Meep Gies, who was mm-hmm. one of the helpers, whom Anne was very fond of. Mm-hmm. And, and then I got to meet Hannah Pick Gosler, who was one of Anne's best friends. Mm-hmm. And then at another time, I got to meet Ava Schloss, who became Anne's uh, posthumous stepsister, a very strange combination of words. But her mother, uh, who had lost a son and her husband at Auschwitz, and had one remaining daughter, Eva, married Otto Frank, Anne's oh, father. So Anne's father in 1953 got remarried mm. and had a stepdaughter named Eva who gave him three grandchildren. Wow. And he, he had a family life, not the one that he had expected to have, of course. Right. But um, And he said over and over, he said, if her experience had not been similar to mine, it wouldn't have worked. Because right. when I speak about my experiences, she understands but what do you think about, was it about her story when you were 11 and seeing this movie? Was this like a lifelong interest in the story or, or was this something that you really only kind of got into later in your life? I think that in 1959, it got into every pore of my body, but mm-hmm. then I kind of wasn't aware of it mm-hmm. being there. And then when I interviewed Meep Gies in particular, um, in the 90s? In the 90s, mm-hmm. yes. This was some years later, wasn't it? A lot of years later. I just, you know, because even then, I wasn't so young, but I was a lot younger than I am now. And I, I wanted her to say she was a hero. And, and, and it was this denial, this, this radical denial. I am not a hero. I was never a hero. We were not heroes. We mm-hmm. only did what any decent people would have done. Right. And that, that this understanding came to me was that most of the righteous Gentiles didn't do it, well, certainly not for money, for a claim, to be in a movie, to write a book. They did it because they, they well, there were a lot of reasons, but many of them, you know, hated what was going on with mm-hmm. the Nazis. And they said that Jews were human beings like everyone else. In fact, mm-hmm. some of them were their very close friends, dear friends. So... Tell me a little bit about, since we're on the topic, um, the Anne Frank Project and and your involvement in it. Well, I started it here in Cleveland. Mm -hmm. Let's say it's going on 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I started it, it was really when I was started reading and researching. You know, I mean, you can read yourself silly, you know, 24-7. There's so much to read and there's so much to know about Anne Frank and her family Mm -hmm. and the war and Holland and, oh my goodness. So there's great depth. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I finally got to the point where I really knew the story and had read the diary a number of times and had read a number of essays. There are many essays. Harold Bloom has a book of essays. Mm -hmm. Um, Many people have written about Anne for good reason because she was quite an amazing woman writer she filled up that little plaid diary in six months. There are other books that she filled up, plus 300 pages of loose paper mm-hmm. that they picked up uh, that day. 
uh, after they were taken away by the Nazis, you know, it was th- that I saw, I saw the depth. I began to see the depth. And then I started, because I thought, well, I've interviewed all these people. I've met these people. I really want to share it with the Jewish community or the community, community I should say, in Cleveland. So what I started to do was I partnered first with the Church of the Covenant, and we did an interreligious commemoration of the, genocide, of the Holocaust and genocide, at which I had uh, Max Edelman of Blessed Memory, a Holocaust survivor who lost his sight from a beating mm. and then was afraid of dogs until he finally got a seeing eye dog, a guide dog, and realized uh, they weren't so scary. And uh, and I also, at these events that I've had pretty much every year, um, I would also have a lost boy of Sudan speak. And it's a similar story because this young man, the two young, they're not so young anymore, but the, the lost boys of Sudan, they were in school, the school was bombed, they didn't see their parents, they just walked several hundred miles to Ethiopia, they lived in refugee camps for years and years and years, their families were destroyed, and then some of them, of course, were brought to this country, and as Mm -hmm. you know, many of them to Cleveland, or a good number. And I also um, was able to bring in a young man from Rwanda, who lives in Hudson, who had Mm -hmm. been adopted by a family in Hudson, Mm -hmm. and he spoke at this event, and his parents came, his Mm -hmm. adoptive parents. And they told me that he wouldn't speak of the horrors, but he would speak about his vision for peace and the future. Mm-hmm. But he lost his family. They were mm-hmm. all murdered, as were 800,000 in 1994 during the Rwandan genocide. So I'm trying, I'm trying to take the big picture. Obviously, the Holocaust, the, the, the genocide mm-hmm. in Europe during the 40s is unique, absolutely. But there have been other genocides. We need to be able to see all of them, Mm -hmm. I think, to understand genocide, what it means to dehumanize another's. Mm -hmm. Jews were called rats and bacilli and viruses, and they were destroying the Aryan race one way or another. Um, The Hutus called the Tutsis in Rwanda called them snakes. Mm. So it was very easy to kill 800,000 of them, sometimes with rifles, but mostly with machetes, Mm. by cutting them into pieces. And so that's really what I've been doing. And then one year I was able to bring in Anne's dear cousin, Mm -hmm. Buddy Elias and his wife, and and then Reverend uh, Dr. Otis Moss and I have worked Mm -hmm. together because another thing that I'm doing that I hope to do uh, quite a number of programs next year in 2019 is to commemorate what would have been the 90th birthdays of both Martin Luther King and Anne Frank, who were both born in 1929. And I did have a wonderful article. That's a parallel you don't really think about. Several years ago, I had a poster made up with Anne and Martin, and, you know, that their vision, their dreams are still here for us to realize. And they're also symbols of hope and people in in both communities, African-American communities and the Jewish community, that we hold on these pedestals of goodness and, and coming together and rally behind. It's kind of an interesting parallel I've never really thought of before. I know. Many haven't. I'm, I'm so glad that I did. I don't know exactly. I, I wasn't the first one to think of it. Actually, right. it was Dr. Moss oh. who said to me, well, you know, Martin and Anne were both born in the same year. And interesting. I, went, I didn't know that. Yeah. Because he, he actually um, he did something so beautiful when, when Buddy Elias was, uh, I did a program at Trinity Cathedral. Mm-hmm. Dr. Moss recorded a beautiful 10-minute piece about the significance of Anne Frank, you know, and Martin Luther King, you know, and the fact that they were both born the same year. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. No one can speak in the way that Dr. Moss does.
one thing, we were watching the Anne Frank play, mm-hmm. the Diary of Anne Frank. Um, that was one of the plays at the Cleveland Playhouse this year. I'm not sure. Did you get a chance to see it? Yes, I met with the staff. And then I also saw the play that the JCC Playmakers did just around the same time. Oh, wow. And I got to meet with the... The actors from the you know youth production, and they thanked me tremendously for my insights mm-hmm. afterward. It was really a wonderful experience. I wonder, yeah. and there was a group of young kids. Is it possible to understand the horrors that that family experienced and many families like it at that age, or is that too young to really get the grasp of it? That's such a wonderful question because I think I'm going to have to answer in the negative. I've been doing a lot of research and reading the last 10 or 20 years, let's say, and it's only now. I have to, I'm have to. i 69 years old. It's mm-hmm. just the last couple of years that I really, really feel the weight of that war and how it destroyed families and people and, and, and also just what Anne and her family went through. I mean, they had a nice hiding place, you know. I say that sarcastically. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was nice compared to some other hiding places, but it wasn't nice um, at all. The food was awful. You know, they Mm -hmm. ate pickled kale for like a month in a row, and that was not too delicious. In the version in the Cleveland Playhouse, I thought it was amazing. They didn't leave during the intermission. Yes. They kept going about their lives in the Mm -hmm. annex as if, you know, this was still their reality. They um, were there twenty four seven. Right, exactly. And they sometimes would crack open a window, even though they shouldn't have. Mm-hmm. But they had to have some sense of air. Mm-hmm. Margot and Anne would sometimes bathe in the front office, and they would peek through the curtains, which were drawn on Saturdays after the staff left. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they didn't go outside for two years and wow. one month. And so, yeah, that was that was to good effect. This was their 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 prison. This was Anne's first prison, and it's. A very powerful play. The diary is very powerful. And every time it comes around on a play cycle and you see the play, you want to learn more about it. You, you know, it, it, it definitely captures your attention at that moment. And then you go back to your daily life and you don't think about the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. You don't think about Anne Frank. I wonder if, do you think that there will be a time when there are no more living survivors, um, that people will, it'll just go back into the the back of people's minds even more, that it won't be something that's remembered as vividly, or do things like the play and the Anne Frank project help keep that memory alive? I think we could keep the memory alive, and I think that a lot of programs are doing a pretty good job with younger people. And speaking of the diary specifically, for example, if, if to read the diary means to really understand Anne's insights, her self-criticism, her getting her first period, I think a mm-hmm. lot of young women in particular can relate to that. Mm-hmm. In terms of the horrors, I mean, I've been to Auschwitz twice myself, mm-hmm. and I've been on a couple of Holocaust journeys, and I've read a lot. And sometimes I put all the books away so that I don't look at them. Um, I don't. I don't think that when you're 12 or 13 that you can really grasp all of that. But you mm-hmm. can grasp a lot of what's in her diary, and other books. There are other diaries. There are other some other beautiful diaries written by some boys, uh, a boy in Theresienstadt, and and there are just several several other diaries. Mary Berg uh, wrote a diary. I I prefer Anne's. Anne's is my favorite. <laughs> but it's because she she had so much insight. Mm-hmm. You know, for a young woman of 14 or so. 
um, to have, she'd say to herself, well, you know, my mother doesn't understand me. Mm-hmm. I don't understand her either. Mm-hmm. To come to that realization that young. Mm-hmm. And, and, so, and she also became a masterful writer. Mm-hmm. And there's just so much of the diary. I mean, she writes about why, why are people so ridiculous? Why do we keep having wars? Why do we keep you know, tearing down things and bombing things? Mm-hmm. And all we have to do is you know, build them up again. This does not make any sense. I mean, and there were many quotes. That I have an article on Cleveland.com comparing Martin Luther King and Anne. And there are many quotes that are very similar. Mm his quotes and her quotes and yeah. she was only 14 and he was 39 when he died yeah. so you know she was just so bright i don't think we'll forget it ever we haven't forgotten the civil war yet <laughs> thank you so much friend thank you both very much thanks for listening to cleveland schmooze a podcast produced by rachel and robin rude Tune in every other Friday to get the latest episode in your podcast feed. You can also find an archive of our episodes at our website, clevelandschmooze.com. And feel free to share any comments or suggestions to our email, clevelandschmooze at gmail.com. That's schmooze spelled C-A-S-C-H. <laughs> That's schmooze spelled schmooze. <laughs> Perfect. Bye. Goodbye.